Father, we come before you uh, again in prayer because we, we're needy people. We're, we're absolutely incapable of, of, uh, <laughs> of obeying you, of saving ourselves, of understanding your word apart from your help, apart from the work of your spirit. So we come in prayer because we are desperate people, and desperate people pray, and we, <laughs> we need your help. We need your help for understanding in the scriptures. We need your help to be attentive to the scriptures. Uh, we, we need your help to be humble uh, before your word, Lord. We, we, myself included, we think we know more than we actually know. And so, God, would you humble us and help us to be uh, contrite people of humility before the authority of your word, because your word has authority because it's from you. So, God, let us be low uh, before your word, that we can be helped, that we can see who you are, that we can see what you call us to, and then by the help of your spirit, respond in faith, and the faith that then works out in, uh, in obedience. So, God, would you come and do that for, for your good and, and, and for your namesake and for, for our good? We pray you would do that for us, uh, not only, but for every church across the city that, that is holding to your word, seeking to be faithful to the gospel. Would you not just bless our time, but bless their time as well, that the whole city would, would just be impacted by Jesus, that this great city would, would even be greater, uh, God, as lives are transformed by Jesus, as people's hearts, attitudes, and dispositions towards one another are changed through your good news. So God, would you come and do that powerful, miraculous work in our midst right now? We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. So there are a few things um, that you guys probably know that you can really only learn through experience. A few things you can really only learn through experience. Uh, I was going to give some of the cliche ones, um, which would be, you know, kids or something about a relationship. But the one that, that stood out to me the most, I was thinking about this idea of things that you can only learn through experience, was, uh, was something that had to do with physical exercise. How many of you are exercise people? You exercise. Okay. So you're like, I, can I say if I do it once a week, can I say that? Or twice a week? Once a year? Um, I walked here? Does that get? Okay. Exercise, right? Um, there's some things you can only learn through experience. I remember going to uh, a, a 5K um, and kind of watching it uh, and, and seeing people doing it and thinking, I, I could do that. Like, and so that became my thing for the next week. I kept talking about it with my wife. I was like, right, I'll just do a 5K. It's no big deal. Like, I'm not even running that hard. I can totally do that. I play basketball pretty regularly. I can totally do a 5K. And so, uh, so that was kind of my thing. And I was kind of researching running shoes and different spandex and all the kind of accessories. That's my, one of the things I like is getting into something to get the accessories. And so I was looking into all these things. And, you know, but again, there's some things you only learn through experience. And so, uh, so in the midst of kind of my uh, infatuation with I could totally run a 5K, I'm going to become a runner, all this and that, I was late to a, one of my basketball games. And uh, I couldn't find parking. And so I had to park far away from the gym. And uh, so I'm running late and got my gear parked to get out of the car. It's like, well, it could be a great chance to, to work on the 5K. I'll just run from my car all the way to the gym without stopping. And, uh, and so I started to do that. And about halfway, I stopped and realized I will not be doing any 5Ks. And I'll be sticking to basketball where you run, you jump, and then you stop and kind of rest for a little bit. And then you continue. And it was one of those things where it's an example of where you only learn through experience, where on the outside, running a 5K for someone who plays sports mildly, that doesn't look that hard. But then when you actually try to run you know, two blocks without stopping, even at a very slow pace, you're like, okay, maybe this is not for me. So there's certain things we only learn through experience. And we're in the story of Exodus, and God's people are about to learn something that they can only learn through experience. They're going to learn how to trust God every single day, which you can only learn through experience. God has just saved his people. 
They were uh, under the reign and rule of Pharaoh for about four centuries. God has just delivered them through multiple signs and wonders, demonstrating kind of the pattern of, of, of salvation that God saves by grace through faith, not through their own strength or their own wisdom or their own achievement. God has snatched them from their oppressor, snatched them from evil, claimed them as his own people, and now they're on their walk to freedom. Now they're leaving Egypt, they're on their walk to freedom to go to the land that God has given them so that they can dwell there with God and so that the whole world would then see this is what it looks like to be God's people and the whole world would be blessed through the work that God had done through his people. And God is taking them out of Egypt, but they need to learn what it means to trust God. Because they've seen God show up in a big, powerful, dramatic way, but they don't know what it looks like to trust God every single day. They've seen a big deliverance, they've seen the waters of the Red Sea parted, but they don't know what it means to trust God on a Monday morning. And so God is actually going to use the journey that Israel takes, leaving Egypt, walking through the wilderness to the promised land, he's going to use that journey to form them into a people of faith. Because there are some things you can only learn through experience. God is forming a people of faith through the wilderness journey that Israel takes, which is going to show us that God is forming us. God is forming you into a people of faith through the wilderness journey of life. That's what God is doing. Because there are some things you have to go through because you can only learn through experience. God is forming a people of faith through the wilderness journey. Let's pick up the, the text and we'll jump in and see how God is going to form the people into a people of faith through their wanderings in the wilderness on the walk to freedom. Exodus uh, 15, uh, 22. If we were to look one verse up in 21, uh, we'll remember our sister Miriam, who was going crazy with the tambourine. You guys remember that from last week? She's going crazy, going wild with the tambourine. Uh, probably the, one of the greatest parties to have ever been at of all time. They were celebrating, God has saved us in a massive, major way. They're celebrating saving faith. God delivered us. The last sermon, the last text we looked at, uh, 15, 1 through 21, it's all about praising God for what he's done. The only fitting response to what God has done is praise. And they're coming off this praise high, and now they're learning to trust God on Monday morning, learning to trust God in the day-to-day of wandering through the wilderness. And let's see what happens next. Coming from the praise high, now we get 1522, on their journey to freedom, walking free as a people. 22, then Moses made Israel set out from the Red Sea, and they went into the wilderness of Shur, and they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink the water of Marah because it was bitter. Therefore, it was named Marah. And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it into the water. And the water became sweet. There the Lord made for them a statute and a rule, and there he tested them, saying, If you will diligently listen to the voice of the Lord your God, and do that which is right in his eyes, and give ear to his commands, and keep all his statutes, I will put none of the diseases on you that I put on the Egyptians, for I am the Lord your healer. Then they came to Elim, where, they, where there were twelve springs of water and seventy palm trees, and they encamped there by the water." So God is forming a people of faith through the wilderness journey of life. How is he going to do that? First thing we're seeing, he's going to do that through giving them a daily opportunities for faith. 
Give them daily opportunities for faith. That's how he's going to form them into a people of faith. Because remember, coming out of the exodus, coming out of this bondage to Pharaoh and this evil power, coming out is the, the Hebrew people, right? But they're, they're still learning who God is. And, and coming out, we saw in uh, 1238, it's a mixed multitude. There's, there's Egyptian slaves that are coming out with the people of Israel saying, hey, I just seen what your God did. I, he looks like he's the real deal. I'm coming too. There's a mix of people. And so they've got to learn who is God and what does it mean to be his people. And so they're beginning to learn, oh, it means we don't just trust him with the big things, but we trust him every single day. He's forming us into a people of faith through the wilderness journey. Because imagine this, 400 years of oppression, 400 years of, of just maybe pieces of hearing from God. Imagine all of a sudden that God shows up on the scene and he saves you in a major way, but there's some still, still some habits of heart, still some ways of thinking, still some ways of believing, still some ways of dealing with problems that are not shaped now by this new identity of being part of the people of God. So they need to be formed, they need to be shaped, they need to be renewed, they need to be changed into a people of faith. That's what needs to happen. If you don't mind, a quote the wide sage poet Snoop Dogg says, you can take me out the ghetto, but you can't take the ghetto out of me. So you can take the people out of Egypt, but God still needs to get the Egypt out of them. He needs to reshape their thinking. He needs to form them into a people who trust him and who, who understand what it means to, to have a God who cares for them because they've had 400 years of just being oppressed. And so now you're saying, oh God, you're going to care for us. Okay, I don't know what it's like to trust you because all I've been doing is just been trying to get by and cope with this trauma and cope with this burden, cope with this oppression. And so now you're here and you're, you're saving me and you're good. But man, I need, to, I need to learn how to trust you because I've never done that before. And so through the wilderness wanderings, God is going to form them into a people of faith. First thing we're going to see, he's going to do it by giving them daily opportunities for faith. Right? So they start their journey in 22. They're free. The praise, you can still hear the praise party echoing, reverberating. Right? That was just maybe a couple days ago, maybe very, very fresh, very recent. And then the praise party halts, and then it turns into a grumble party because they don't have any water. They don't, they don't have any water. They've gone into the waters. They don't have water. And what do we see? They start to grumble against Moses, which we're going to see in 16.8 uh, is really grumbling against God. And we're going to see more grumbling as we go through the text. They, they've been saved in this miraculous way, but they don't get this daily provision. And so they begin to grumble and say, what is happening? God, where are you? Why are we even here? Where is your provision? And we're seeing that they need to be formed into a people of faith because there are two options laid before us when we face a challenge or a trial. We see them right here in 22 through 27. You can grumble against God or you can pray to God. Moses sets the pattern for what they should do. There's no water, and so Moses prays. This water can't be, it's poisonous. It can't be, it can't be, it can't be consumed. So, so Moses prays, but the people, the people don't even think to pray. They just grumble. They don't think to say, God, you just showed that you can part the waters to save us. Maybe we should ask you to provide some water for us. They've been seeing miracles. They've seen 11 plagues and miracles, but they don't think to pray. They think to grumble against God. But Moses says, no, well, I'm going to pray to God. They need to be formed into a people of faith. And there are some things you can only learn through experience, the daily trials of having to exercise faith in God's provision. They grumble. They grumble against God. They complain rather than praying to the God who has saved them. 
See, this, reve- this reveals a lot about where they are. This reveals a lot about their, their lack of understanding of who this God is. They're, they're still grasping and getting their minds around what it means to belong to this God who loves them and cares for them so powerfully. They're still grasping that. And so their response is to grumble, to complain. Now, I want to ask you, Instead of being shaped into a people of faith, they become a people of constant grumbling. Our grumblings, our compl- this is the idea of complaining, the, the, this, this, uh, that practice can teach us a lot about what we think about God, what we think about the world, what we think about kind of who we are. Let me, let me ask, you, ask you this, what do you, what do you find yourself complaining about? Right, if we could do a strange, weird exercise and project the things that you've complained about over the last seven days, what, what would we see? What themes would we trace out? Would it be that they ran out of cold brew? Right? Why the wireless is is so slow here, right? (laughs) What are are the things, right, if we were to trace trace out the things that we complain about? Maybe there's some major things you complain about. Your body is breaking down, right? What what are the things that, if we were to trace out, what are the things that you see that you are complaining about? And then what does that reveal about how we need to be formed by God? See, because the, the people of Israel, their, their complaints here reveal that they still don't understand that God has got their back. They, they still don't understand that. They still don't understand that God doesn't want to leave them, that God is actually going to care for them every step of the way. So, so what is your grumbling, your complaining? What does it reveal about an area where you still need to be formed by God? And that's not a thing to be discouraged about. That's a thing to be encouraged about because God is going to do that forming and shaping. He's going to grow us there. He's going to be faithful to us. But what does that reveal about how we need to be formed and shaped by God? Because God is going to show up here. Look at at what he does. He he provides this log to go into the water and then to make it sweet, to make it drinkable. God shows that he not only saves, which they understand, but God also provides. And that's how he's going to form a people of faith, not just by saving them, but by regularly, daily, in their time of need, providing for them. And over time, this track record of, of provision is going to help the people of God be shaped into a people of faith. Right? Just even think about this. In this water scenario, right, where there, there's no water to drink for, for a few days, right, which is not ideal, th- this is happening. Now, if they, they, they have two, this is the fork in the road in the, in the journey, they can grumble against God or they can pray to God. They can grumble about what they do not have or they can ask God for what they need. They, they have these two options. Now, imagine that they pray and then God answers that prayer. What happens to faith when that happens? You become encouraged. You, you, your faith muscles strengthen. You, you build a, a resolve and a trust and a faithfulness towards God's faithfulness where the next time that happens, you're even more quicker to say, you know what, God, I, I'm going to trust you here. And so, so they miss an opportunity to be formed into a people of faith because they grumble instead of coming to the one who wants to care for them and provide for them. And part of our grumbling, it shows us, uh, shows us how we kind of understand God's nature. Notice, notice in 27, we get this kind of strange verse um, about they go to Elim and, and there's 12 springs and 70 palm trees, um, which is, just seems kind of strange for that detail to pop up. I think some of what it's getting at is, is this idea of its, exact, its, its detailed exact provision for, for the people that are there. There are 12 tribes in Israel. There's 70 that come down from, from, uh, from, from, uh, from Jacob down to, um, down to Egypt in the Exodus at the beginning of, of the book of Exodus. It's just this, this sense of that God, God is actually going to lead them right to what they need to show his nature. That he not only saves them, but he wants to provide 
for them. And so much of whether we grumble or whether we trust in God when we're dealing with the wilderness wanderings of our lives, it really comes down to this question is, was, what do we believe in the moment about the nature of God? So what do, we, what do we believe in the moment about the nature of God? Do we believe that he cares for us just in the big things of, of, of grace and salvation, or do we believe that he also cares about us in the little things? Right? Do we, do we believe that he is gracious to wanderers, or, or do we believe that he'll abandon us in our sins and in our struggles? Right? Whether we grumble against him or, or pray to him really begins to reveal over time what we believe about the nature of God. But notice even in this text, even in these first five verses, we see that God is gracious. Notice, notice what the people do. Do the, do the people pray or do they grumble? What do they do? Pray or grumble? They grumble, grumble. They grumble, grumble. Just like Bobble Bobble. It's a great, uh, great game on NES. They, they grumble. They grumble. And what does God do? Does he withhold or does he provide? He provides. He provides. They, they've grumbled. They, they, do not, they already do not deserve to be his people. They do not deserve to be rescued. They, they, they're not any better than Egypt, but God has been gracious to them. They grumble and he provides. They grumble and he provides because there's a mediator who, who steps in, Moses, who prays, much like Jesus, the mediator who then who, who steps in, who, who dies for us, who raises for us so that we can receive grace upon grace from God, forgiveness from God, uh, welcome into his family. But God gives grace even as the people grumble. That's how much he is towards us in his provision. And so this should shape us, this should encourage us, this should shape the people and help them to know, okay, next time we face a challenge in the wilderness wanderings of life, next time we face that, we don't, we don't need to. We can fight our tendency to grumble and instead say, God, you care for us. Where are you? Show up, provide, help us, please do it for your name. And that's exactly what the people are going to do, right? It's exactly what they're going to do next. So let's look at the text, 16, 1 through 13. So they face this encounter with water. Water is important. God provides it. And then they set out from Elim in 16.1. And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elim and Sinai, on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. So this is still early in their formation journey. Verse 2. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. They have not learned. And the people of Israel say to them, Would that we had died! By the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us into the wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. So they have not, they have not been formed into a people of faith yet. This is still ongoing. For then, Moses, then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I'm about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. God is going to give them twice as much on the sixth day in order to help them trust that that they can rest on the seventh day. Verse 6, So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you... In the evening, meat to eat, and in the morning, bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the people of the whole congregation of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked towards the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. 
Say to them, at twilight you shall eat the meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. Okay, so, so they have not been formed by this daily opportunity to trust in God where we see him provide the waters. They, they have not been formed yet. Now as hunger becomes a challenge as they're wandering in the wilderness, what, what, is, what, is, their, what is their call? What is their response? Do they pray to the Lord or do they grumble against the Lord? They grumble against him. Verse 3, they say, it would have been better if God just killed us in Egypt where we had steaks and where we had food, where we had stuff, it would have been better if God just killed us there. Why did he bring us here to die of hunger? Right? So, so they're, they're saying, God, you saved us, but you're not providing for us. Where are you? It would have been better if we died in slavery. Right? This is a people that still needs to be formed into trusting and understanding what the Lord has done for them. This is essentially, that type of grumbling is essentially blasphemy of the highest degree. God, just kill us. You're not going to provide for us. Why don't you just kill us? Why did you even save us? Why are you even gracious to us in the first place? Why did you even let us go free, answer our prayers from oppression? Why don't you just strike us down? This is essentially blasphemy in the highest degree. And yet, again, what does God do? God, again, says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to bring bread from heaven to feed you. I'm going to provide so much bread on the sixth day that you guys can really just chill on the seventh day and rest the way I've told you to so you can know that everything doesn't depend on you. God is going to provide for these people even as they increase in their grumbling against him. This is miraculous. God is going to continue to be gracious to them. And look at verse 12. He is doing this so that they would know that he is the God who saves them, that they would know his glory, that would see his glory, and he comes present before in the cloud. He is forming a people of faith that will trust him. And notice what God is doing here. We think about all the options that are before God, who is omnipotent, who is omniscient, um, who is, is free to do all that he pleases. There's a lot of options before God to provide for his people here. There, there are a lot of ways that he can do this. He doesn't have to rain bread from heaven. He could turn the grass into meat. He could just provide a bunch of animals. Uh, he could provide uh, endless tofu. He, I mean, there's a lot of things that God could do here. But he decides, he, he, in his wisdom, he says, I'm going to rain down bread from heaven I'm going I'm to bring it down, and it's going to come, we see in the text, it's going to come down each day, and you're going to have to come and get it each day. So we read on in the text, he's only going to have them gather so much each day, and if they try to store it over for the next day, it's going to go rotten. We're also going to see in the text, as, as people, if, if, as, the, as the manna comes down, kind of like dew in the morning, as it comes down from heaven, if it comes down and, and say, family A or person A gathers, you know, 12 pounds and, and person B gathers 8 pounds, we find out in the text that when they go back to their, to their tents and to examine the food, it actually comes out the same. That God is actually going to do miraculous kind of work to make sure that they only really get what they need for each day on that day. Why? Because he is trying to form a people who trust in him, not just in the big moment, but every single day. Because that is how we're formed into a people of faith. God could work and just drop a ton of food that they need and set them up for a month. God could totally fix their hunger situation. He could just immediately bring them from Egypt to the land, immediately. But God isn't always interested in just fixing things, but in forming people. 
This is something that is critical for you to understand because you are not in a wilderness journey necessarily in the same way that Israel is, but we are on a journey where God is shaping us through the things that we face in life. And God is not just interested in fixing the problems that we have. He certainly cares for them and is. But in the meantime, in the process, at the same time, he's also very, very interested in forming us into a people who trust in him. See, when we think of our situations, we immediately think of a, a problem that we face. Think of Israel. Their problem is we don't have, we don't have food. And so they immediately see that the problem is not being fixed. And so God does not care. So we're going to grumble. But they don't understand that God is actually going to be working in this situation and doing more than they think behind the scenes in order to form them. See, when we begin to understand this, we begin to think differently about our wilderness journey of life. See, what happens is, is when God brings us into his family through the grace and work of Jesus, we don't look at our problems only in terms of, is this problem getting fixed? But we also have a secondary question, which means we have two ways to benefit from anything that happens to us in life. God can fix situations. He can make a way out of no way. But God is also doing work on the character level. God is not just concerned with fixing our circumstances, but God is also very concerned with mending our character and shaping it. Because again, there's some things that we can only learn through experience. Now, what would happen if you take the problems that you are facing right now and think of your life as a journey, think of it as a wilderness wandering, you are, you, are, you are going through things in your life, you have been through things in your life, and you are moving towards a destination through the work of Jesus belonging to the people of God when God renews all things. You are on a journey right now might feel like you have flat tires on your journey. It might feel like you're like literally where Israel is, right? But you are, you are on a journey. So, so think of what are those problems? What are those challenges? What are those burdens? What are those difficulties that are facing you? And what would, it, what, would it, what would it look like if God is not only wanting to fix and work in that situation, but also work in you? How does that change your perspective? How does that help you see light in a situation when otherwise there really is not? God is not just concerned about fixing the circumstance. He certainly does. He calls us to, to ask him for help, to, for him to show up, to deliver, to redeem, to, to be gracious, to be strong, to help us to be victorious, right? He, he, he certainly calls us all that, but he also is concerned about our character and shaping us into people who reflect Jesus. So here's, what, here's the encouragement for you. Here's the call, to, call for you from uh, 16, 1 through 13. In the 15 section, we see that God is giving daily opportunities to faith. And what he's doing here in 16, 1 through 13 is he's, he's calling us. He's actually showing us that, that instead of grumbling, we ought to pray daily for formation and not just fixing. When we face a problem, we, we don't just pray for fixing. We certainly should pray for fixing. Pray for God to fix it. Pray for God to show up. Pray for him to do it for his glory. If you don't, you don't have any money, pray for God. God, give me, give me money so I can be generous, right? Get, help me. Help me to meet my needs. Do that. Absolutely. But don't just pray for fixing. Pray for God to form you. So if you're lonely, pray for God to bring, bring something that helps in your loneliness. Help, 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 uh, ask him to help you to love his presence so much that it changes you. You feel that you're not alone. Pray for God to bring you community or, or friends or relate. Or pray for those things. That's, there's, that's great. You have that freedom. Do that. But also pray for God to form you in the midst of the problem. 
If your body is beginning to fail you, pray that God would heal you. Ask other people to pray for you. We can do some James stuff. Get the oil, like, oh, we can get the oil out. Half of you will never come back. We can do what we, we can pray. We can pray, pray for God to do that. But also at the same time, don't miss that, that you can pray as well, and you should pray as well for God to do formation in you in the midst of that circumstance. We don't want to miss both of those things. We don't want to make the very, a very holy mistake and say, God, it doesn't matter. The pain doesn't matter. Don't worry about the circumstance. Just make me more like Jesus, right? That, that doesn't, that's not smart. That's not what the Bible encourages us to do. But we also don't want to make the other mistake where we say, God, fix the problem. Just fix the problem. And we forget that God is going to form us and do work in us as he does the remedying and the redeeming in the circumstance. Does this make sense? Okay? Pray for God to fix, but pray for God to form you as well. Because there are certain things that you only learn through experience, and God wants to form us into a people of faith. God is very concerned, not just about that we would have saving faith in Jesus. We, we, we need that. We, we're desperate for that, and he provides that. Let's trust in Jesus, but that we would also have daily faith. Because think about Israel. Their saving faith is putting the blood of the lamb on the doorposts in the Passover that that judgment would pass over them because they deserve judgment just like Egypt. So they must do the work of trusting in the sacrifice just as we trust in the sacrifice of Jesus and put it upon the doorpost. But when you think about it, it's kind of easy to do that, right? That's a little bit easier than trusting God when you have had three days of no water. Right? There, there's some ways in which daily faith through the trials of life is, is a difficulty in a unique way that the Passover is not. And so we must pray for God not just to fix our circumstances, but to form us through them. Because guess what? God loves you enough not just to pay attention to your circumstance, but to pay attention to you in the midst of it. We think about this with kids. There are moments with, when a parent with a child where there is a circumstance or a problem with the child and the parent has a fork in the road. There are two options. There is the quick fix. I can just give you what you need so you stop being crazy in the middle of the grocery store. Or I can love you enough to deal with kind of a prolonged conversation and some public embarrassment and I can speak to your character. And if you have a parent that all they do is like, let's just give you what, what we need to make the circumstance easier, at some point you're going to question, well, do, is there a, an affection deeply there that, that leads you to deal with the harder circumstance, the harder situation, which is the heart, the character, the formation, and not just the surface and the problem and the circumstance? God loves you enough to not just deal with the circumstance that you're in, but the character that you have to form you into a person of faith so that as you continue on the journey and you face more trials, guess what? Those faith muscles have been deepened and strengthened. So that when you go through something where I have no job, you can say, God, I trust you. I have seen your provision in Jesus, but I've seen your provision through my wilderness journey of life. I know that my first instinct is to grumble, but you have been shaping me into somebody who doesn't grumble first, but comes to you in prayer, asking for you to provide and to help. This is God shaping us into a people of faith. The next thing that God is going to do is he's not just going to call them to pray for their formation and not just fixing, but he's going to give them an opportunity every single day to remember his provision. And this is the charge to us is that we need to every single day remember God's provision, and that's how our faith is built. Let's look at the next portion of the text, 16 to 13 through the end of the chapter. Essentially, what we're going to have here is God is going to uh, provide uh, the manna, and he's going to kind of lay out how they're supposed to take some and, and each day and, and also 
preserve some manna in a jar that they would keep with them as a way of remembering that God has done this miracle for 40 years. God is raining down bread from heaven to feed us. Verse, uh, verse 13. In the evening, the quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, what is it? For they did not know what it was. And the Lord said, uh, and Moses said to them, it is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. It's the manna, it's the what is it? This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it, each of you, as much as he can eat, and you shall, take, you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever had gathered little had no lack. So God is working miraculously. However much they get, they have the same amount to show that they trust daily in his provision, not in their ability to hoard. 19, and Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. He's saying, trust again, daily in my provision. And the people again, but they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till morning and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning, they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. And on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded to do. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to be kept till the morning. So they laid it aside till the morning as Moses commanded them. And it did not stink and there were no worms in it. So again, here we're seeing God is sustaining his provision so that they can trust in him by resting. 25, Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you will gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day, some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. Again, look, the people go out, even though that he's given double portion on the sixth day, they're still like, we <laughs> they still don't trust in his provision. Like, we're going to go out. We're going to get some more. 29, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? He's providing for them. See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. Just rest, just relax, chill. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. We have those around today. 32, Moses said, this is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept through your generations, so preserve it, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, take a jar, put an omer of manna in it, and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. They ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. Let me get this note. And Omer is the, tenth part, is the tenth part of an ephah. So this is how the Lord is providing. He is working so that they will daily remember his provision in order to form them into a people of faith. So the first thing is they have the opportunity, we see with the water circumstance, they have the opportunity to daily, they, to pray, to trust in him, or to grumble. And we see that, 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 that God is now going to actually give them something that they can only learn through experience of, of seeing every day. Okay, the man, the man is here. Okay, go to bed at night. Is there going to be a man tomorrow? The man is here. 40 years, the man is here. 40 years, the Lord provides, not just saves, but provides to sustain them. 
This builds daily faith. He gives a double portion before the Sabbath. God is forming a people of faith through the wilderness journey, and he's doing it one day at a time. One day at a time. I want you, I want you to think about the parallels. What would it look like if we think about our formation as disciples of Jesus in this way in which God is shaping us into people of growing faith one day at a time? Or think about the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily bread. Daily, not, not weekly, not monthly, not, not Costco-run supply amount, right? Daily bread. Why? To form us into a people of faith. He is very clearly calling us back to the provision of man. And when he says daily bread, this is very clear in his mind that this is what he is going back to, saying just as God provided daily for the, for the Israelites in their wilderness wandering, the Father is going to provide what you need daily through your just wanderings in the wilderness of life. So what would happen if we took each day as an opportunity to ask God for help, help me with what I need, provide the grace I need, the patience I need, the, the resources I need, the food I need, the help I need, the, the community I need, the, the, the things that I need. If we took each day as an opportunity to ask him to provide that and then to remember that he provides. Because every morning they start with, is the manna going to be here? It's here. And every day they go to bed at night saying, the Lord provided today. It was forming a people of faith. This is how faith deepens. And even as this happens, you notice the people continue to grumble. They, they, they're told you get double portion on the sixth day. They get it. They see it. And then some of them still go out on the Sabbath saying, we need some more. There, there's, this, there's this grumbling, this lack, of, this lack of trust, which is natural to them, which is natural to us. So, so how do we guard ourselves from this type of grumbling, this type of, uh, of kind of anti-formation uh, when it comes to being formed as a people of faith? Well, one of the main ways we, we do this is by remembering. But think of the kind of what seems strange that, that God calls them to put some of the manna into a jar to preserve it, to bring it into the promised land. Well, couldn't the people just say, hey, God provided manna for us every day? God wants them to see it as a way of remembering, oh, he does provide for us. The Lord doesn't just save us, he provides. The Lord doesn't just meet our major needs, he meets our every single day daily need. If I don't have this, I don't live. He provides for us. So he sets them up with a reminder, a physical reminder that they can turn to. When we look at scripture, if we look at the whole storyline, this call to remember is so uh, prevalent throughout the whole Bible that we are called to remember how God delivers us, how God saves us through the grace of Jesus, how God cares for us, and how God provides for us. We are called to remember. Exodus gives us this pattern. I want you to think about this act of remembering for you. This is how people of faith are formed, why we, we see God's faithfulness and provision, but we also remember it regularly. Every day, remembering how God has been faithful, remembering how God has provided. I want you to think about your life in this way. I want you to think of your life as a museum full of artifacts that testify to God's provision and faithfulness. But if you were to go to if you were to go to the Basketball Hall of Fame in Springfield, Mass., you would get different sections dedicated to certain players, and there'd be different artifacts that each of these artifacts represent some sort of greatness about this particular player. Your life is like a museum full of artifacts that testify to the faithfulness and provision of God. If we were to walk into the, the, the museum artifact of your life, there would be things that we could pick up and say, hey, when your parents split up, when you were 13 and you were in a dark time, do you remember this? Do you remember how God sustained you? When you were 20 
and you had no job, and you had no money, and you had no friends, and your hair was messed up, right? When you had nothing, when, when you had nothing going, do you remember how God provided for you, right? Your life is full of artifacts that testify to the faithfulness and provision of God. And to be formed into a person of faith, to grow in our faith, to grow in our understanding of how God loves us and cares for us, we have to do the work of daily remembering. Just as the man reminded the people every single day, the Lord didn't just save you to save you and then leave you. He saved you to make you his own, to provide for you, to care for you, to be with you every step of the way. And the same God has done that, has done this for us in Jesus. He is doing the same thing with us in Jesus. And so we must remember. We must remember. I want you to think through these artifacts. I'm just going to run through some things, and some of these may apply to you, some of them may not, but I want you to try to even just do that work of remembering God's faithfulness and provision of your life. Remember how God has provided and protected you from making a wreck of your life. Some of you, that's your story. You can look back and say, God has helped me from making a total mess of my life. You can think back to some very specific moments. You remember how God has been gracious and faithful to show you the reality of sin. An idea that for some of us, we just, it just doesn't click. We just can't grasp it. But maybe for, God, for you, God has provided a clarity of thought where you understand that and understand that that implicates you. For some of you can remember an impossible prayer request that God answered and granted. For some of you, you can remember, remember how God sustained you in a season of just feeling hopeless. Maybe you can remember how God graciously allowed you to grow up in a home where you, you heard about Jesus. Maybe you can remember how you didn't grow up where you heard about Jesus, but through these friends or through that school or through that coworker or through that mentor, you began to see and, and think about who Jesus is and was. Right, but for all of us, the ultimate way that we remember and celebrate and see God's provision is, is ultimately through himself. Is through Jesus Christ. Right? The, the same God that provides the manna from heaven to sustain and keep his people in the wilderness wandering of Israel is the same God who sends his son from heaven to save and sustain us. This is why Jesus in John 6, when he is dealing with uh, the religious teachers of the day, they ask him, what do you require from us? And, and he says, to do the work to do the work of God. And they say, what's the work of God? And he says, the work of God is to believe in the one that he sent, me. I'll sustain you. I'll keep you. And then they have this back and forth, this interplay. They talk about the manna from heaven. And Jesus says, I'm the manna from heaven. I'm the bread of life. I'm the one that the Lord provides to save you, to sustain you, to keep you, to forgive you, to redeem you, to restore you. Say, I'm the one that you look to, to be restored to God, but also to see that God does not leave you. God has not forgotten you. See, this is what Jesus has done. This is what the Father has provided. He saves the people and sustains the people. God saves us in Christ and is sustaining us in Christ. And the more we remember that, the more we become formed into a people of faith. We do this kind of twofold remembering where we remember what Jesus has done upon the cross, but we also remember every smaller instance of our lives where God has proven himself faithful. Right? To remember that Jesus is the one who saves us. Jesus is the manna from heaven for us. To remember that Jesus is the one who keeps us. That is to set yourself up to grow in faith and joy in wilderness wanderings.
You can wander for 40 years with joy and hope if you know that God is with you. But the only way we know that he's with us is if we remember what he's done in his provision. The people of Israel had manna from heaven every day to remind them, but you know what we have? We have Jesus upon the cross. We have Jesus resurrected from the grave. We have Jesus dwelling with us by his Holy Spirit. We have Jesus' community of of followers that are with us that we can tangibly look at and, and be encouraged by. We have Jesus himself to sustain us and to keep us as we deal with the wilderness wanderings of our lives. And that is how people of faith are formed. One of the things we get to do that Jesus instituted with his disciples the night before he passed is he instituted communion, which was a a parallel of the Passover. And he did this, and he says this, and he speaks about it in a way of, do this in remembrance of me. That as we partake of communion in the back here in a moment, it is a way of actually physically remembering that the Lord saves and the Lord sustains us. It's a way of seeing that our circumstances are not the final verdict on whether God is with us, God is for us, or God loves us, but that Jesus himself is. It is a tangible reminder of a spiritual reality that Jesus' body was broken for us, Jesus' blood was shed for us, and he alone restores us to God. And so as we sing in response at any point during these these next three songs, I want to invite you, if you trust Jesus, this doesn't have to be your home church, maybe you're just here visiting, but I want to invite you, if you trust him and his provision for you, to go to the table and and partake in the sacrament that reminds us that Jesus has given himself for us to save us and to sustain us. But before we do that, we want to heed the Apostle Paul's words where he calls us to examine ourselves before we do so, to to come before the Lord and to ask forgiveness and to uh, restore ourselves to the Lord by trusting in Jesus' grace. And so what we'll do is we'll we'll take a moment to pray silently. I want to encourage you as we we do this, maybe you're here and you're not sure exactly what you believe. We're we're glad that you're here. I want to encourage you in that moment to maybe just ask God if if you're real, if you really do provide, if you really do sustain, just make that clear to me, show that to me in some way. If you're here and you do trust Jesus, take this time to prepare your heart before you go to the Lord's table to receive communion. So let's take a moment to pray silently. Jesus, we thank you that you have given your your body for us, that you have taken upon uh, yourself our sins, uh, the sins of our our grumbling, our complaining against uh, the Father's provision. You you have made atonement for that. Uh, You've given yourself in our place for us. As we hear about the, the bread that, that comes down from heaven to feed the people of Israel, we, 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 we rejoice that, that you came down from heaven to, to give your life for the world, that, that you are the bread of life, that you satisfy us, that you save us, and that, that you sustain us. We, we ask for your help that you would increase our faith in your person, your work, and your provision. Would you help us to remember those, those moments of the stories of our lives where we have seen your faithfulness, we have seen your provision in our wilderness wanderings? <clears throat> Make us a people who, who, who turn uh, to you in those times of need that we would not grumble, but rather we would, we would pray to you that we would not uh, forget your, your faithfulness, but rather we would celebrate it uh, every single day. And we pray most of all that we would celebrate and, and remember that the Father, you have given your son for us and you've graciously done that. How will you not with him graciously give us all that we need? So God, as we go to the table, would you remind us in a deep way that you save us, and that you sustain us, and that it's all by grace. It's not by our merit, it's not by our effort, it's not by our resolve, but it's by your mercy, your grace, and your kindness towards your people, even as we wander and are wayward. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. We love you for that. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.